Petersfield's Shine Radio. This is Talking Books, presented by Susie Wilde and Tim O'Kelly. Welcome to Talking Books, February. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, absolutely. Welcome. Thank you, Tim. So I'm Susie Wilde. And I'm Tim O'Kelly of One Tree Books. Excellent. Um, Tim, I know you've had a very busy time recently, so just tell me, what have you been up to? Well, by the time this this has gone out, we'll have had our book club in the shop. Um, We're doing Bourneville. Um, the novel by Jonathan Coe. Oh, yeah. Uh, which is a kind of state-of-the-nation novel. I think it's really good. I've, having read it the second time, which is what I always do when I, when I prepare for... Is it Bourneville for, as in Cadbury's? That's right. It's the place Bourneville, just outside the suburb of Birmingham, which was built by the Cadbury family in the 18th century. And it's, it's, um, it's a sort of... Uh, it was designed as a kind of utopian place where uh, there were no pubs, obviously, um, and said they drank hot chocolate rather than, rather than alcohol. And it, it, it was because they're a Quaker family. And um, it's also designed with green spaces around it. And the idea that, 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 that indu- an industrial process doesn't have to be, doesn't have to be brown and grim and grey. It can have be green as well. Nice. So how many people come to the book club? Well, it depends on the book. Um, sometimes, you know, if it's a if it's a particularly tricky one and uh, and it's raining and uh, yeah, you know, we might only have a dozen. But normally we have about twenty to. But 30. a dozen's good anyway. Yeah, no, it's good. It's always good. Always good discussions. Um, everyone always, well, not everyone always chips in, but most people chip in with their with their little thoughts on the book. And nice. some people have got questions, and some people have got answers. Um, because when you read a book, it's always it's always the case that you think, oh, why did that happen? I don't quite I don't quite get that. And then someone else will say, oh, well, the reason for that is is X, Y, and Z, and and suddenly things become clear, which is which is the whole point of the thing, really. It's not... And who sort of runs it? Who hosts? Is it you? I do, yes. Right. Well, I mean, I I um, I normally present the book, so I spend about um, ten minutes or so, quarter of an hour, going through the basic plot of the book, what the basic themes of the in the I think are are in the book. And um, perhaps asking a few questions and then putting it out to the to to everybody else and everyone chips in with with their mm, nice. with their thoughts. So, and what's your classic book club this month? So that one is coming out twentieth of March. We're going to do my cousin Rachel, the Daphne du Maurier. Thriller. Oh, lovely! So, um, which is which is proving very popular actually. I think people it's one of the people's favourite. Favorite novels. I mean, a bit, a lot of Everyone love, forgets about that one. Well, though. a lot of people loved um, Daphne du Maurier and think of Rebecca. Yeah, yeah. But actually, uh, my cousin Rachel is another one of these Cornish Cornish mysteries, and um, it's a lot of people's favourite as well. Actually, brilliant. Well, I look forward to that. And just so, well, I've got you on the things that are coming up. We've yes. got uh, Roger Morgan Grenville coming in on Thursday the 29th of February to talk about uh, his. Book called The Return of the Grey Partridge, which is oh, you mentioned that last about, yeah about yeah, the introduction of yeah. partridges um, to the to the South Downs. Oh, he'll be witty. Oh, he'll be witty. It'll be it'll be good. And of course, Susie caught up with with L. Keating, whose uh, debut novel Poison Summer we we had a book launch for at, at One Tree Books. Um, she writes kind of twisty, dark edged um, stories with complex, flawed characters in. Um, and this book particularly captures the, the zeitgeist of that of that time of the of the um, I suppose it's the late eighties it's set, 
um, pre-mobile phones and, and stuff. Um, she's got an MA in creative writing from the University of Chichester. And um, it's, it's, a, it's a really interesting book. So Susie, what have you been reading this month? I've had some fabulous books from here, Tim. Um, I've got Damascus Station by David McCloskey. Ah, no, I've heard lots about that. Tell me, tell me about it. Well, he is an ex-CIA agent and um, David Petraeus has said it's the best crime thriller, I'm sorry, spy thriller he's ever read, which wow. is praise indeed. Yeah. And I thought, well, this has got a lot to live up to. I read it principally because I love spy thrillers, um, but also it's set in Syria at the beginning of the conflict there. And I really got the feeling that David McCloskey really knew whereof he spake. Right. Um, that it had that ring of truth about it and the horror of it all. Um, there is, of course, a romance because, you know, <laughs> it's a spy thriller. We need a bit of something. Got to be something like that. Um, but yeah. it's fine. It's well handled. I found it on the whole believable. Um, so that was great. Was it? I, was it exciting? Though? Did it? Did it? Yeah. Is it a page turner or, or? Yeah. And uh, I began because I had other things to read. Um, I began by reading it slowly, and as we've said many times, you shouldn't ever read a thriller slowly. It's written with pace. You should read it with pace. So I gave myself up to it completely and read it in two days. And yes, then it suddenly bore fruit. Fantastic! Great. So he's, he's got a new one out. Um, called Moscow. Moscow X, yes. which I think so clearly this one is Damascus and that one's Moscow. I don't know where the next one's going to, what's going to be called. Well, it'll be interesting. Wherever so. the next one is will be the next conflict, Absolutely. probably. Maybe so watch this space. Gaza or yeah. But I did recognise that I was feeling quite stressed, which I thought was just because I couldn't give myself up to it properly. But I recognise that with crime fiction, which I also love, and I'm going to talk about that in a minute too, I feel just really energised by it and I love it and calmed. It's like doing a crossword puzzle. And I recognised that in crime, particularly the sort of crime, Ellie Griffiths notably, that I read, the puzzles are solved. Um, and everybody apart from the murderer, even though there are red herrings, but everyone's basically a decent person. Whereas with a really good spy thriller, everyone's shady. Everyone is ruthless and you know, a mass murderer in this case and so on. And it's all slightly shady shades of... Does that make you un is it uncomfortable? Is it, is it, I mean, because I, I find, I must say, when I got a book, there's too much jeopardy in it. Mm. And that jeopardy is not necessarily life or death jeopardy, but is, is that somebody has done something a bit shady. Will they get found out? Because they are our, our, basically our hero and they've, they've made a mistake and they're trying to cover it up or something like that. And that gives me too much jeopardy. And I stop enjoying yes. the reading of the book and I come, get caught up in, in, in that jeopardy. I think that's exactly it. And the, the better it's written, of course, the worse you feel the jeopardy instead of it being melodrama and not caring. So, yeah, yeah I'm sure it's that. So I'll, I'll move on to I've just read The Last Word by Ellie Griffiths, which is her latest in the one that isn't Dr Ruth Galloway. Right. Um, so it's one that's set in Shoreham and Lansing, and I like it because you know the places and so right. on. And it's also... 
she's so rightly that nasty things happen at a place battle house where writers or wannabe writers go and it's just so horribly well drawn and familiar that that's uncomfortable in an, another way but she's just such a a good and vivid writer you just well, she's, effortless. she's extraordinarily prolific now I mean, I she's used to bring out a couple of books a couple of books a year, which is um, amazing. It's phenomenal. And then the last one is The List of Suspicious Things by Jenny Godfrey. Now, I've literally only just started this. It's one that's um, set at the time of the Yorkshire Ripper. So I was actually at university at the time of the Yorkshire Ripper. So I didn't really take in thoroughly because it was very much in those days only happening in Yorkshire. People didn't really travel that far and I was at UCL in London so I didn't feel touched by it but she's writing her main protagonist is um, 12 at the time of the murders though she references back to 10 and I think I think it's really good it's a very good debut novel but I think she struggles a bit with writing as a a very young child. Some of it is too knowing, I think. Yeah, I mean, I, I must have picked this book up uh, a while ago because I had a, this, the publisher sent me a, 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 an early proof mm-hmm. of it. And uh, I read the first couple of chapters and I, I wasn't convinced by this, this yeah. writing from, the from a child's perspective. Uh, partly because I'm not a child and therefore it kind of... I can't. I don't really want that perspective. I want. I want a more adult perspective. I think maybe that's that's perhaps that's a failing in me. I'm not sure. <laughs> well, there you go. And how about you? What have you been reading? Well, uh, I've read. I've been, I've, as I said earlier, I've been rereading the uh, uh, Bournethorpe by Jonathan Coe, which I really enjoyed. Um, but other things, the Wager by David Grant, which I think I mentioned oh, yeah. last time, which is about a. Um, an extraordinary story. The the wager of the title is HMS Wager, a ship that was part of a small convoy that was due to sail around the south coast of South America and up round um, to attack the Spanish in 1740s uh, in Peru and steal all their gold and silver. And uh, it was at quite an early stage, I suppose, of, of um, the Navy's predominance. Um, and they didn't understand various things. They didn't understand... Firstly, scurvy, um, that, that on a long journey, uh, that ultimately without any, any, any green veg or any, any um, fruit, that they would get severe vitamin C deficiency, which would result in, in this horrible thing. I didn't realise, uh, he described it really well, how, um, how grim scurvy is. And your, your joints all start feeling loose. You start hallucinating. You lose lots of weight. You feel really ill the whole time. Uh, and it sounds absolutely ghastly, but anyway, they 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 get halfway round the um, uh, they get round the bottom of Terra del Fuego, round the bottom of South America, uh, before uh, storms and scurvy and things meet, result in a shipwreck. Um, and the only good thing about the shipwreck is, of course, is, is they get thrust onto onto a bit of land, and um, they start eating sort of some kind of weird natural some celery or other that grows there. And suddenly they stop. They stop getting feeling so ill, which is one thing. I mean, they're still starving, and they're still uh, frozen cold, and they're still a, 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 in a place where where uh, seemingly there is no human habitation. Of course, there is, and it, it that's what that's what the answer to the story is. But so, although they get shipwrecked, and although there is a subsequent mutiny, there's a murder. Um, eventually, some of them uh, are rescued. Um, Much hyped. Is it good? It's very good. It reads like a thriller. Um, it's also, if, you, if you're if you interested in, say, the Patrick O'Brien novels, um, 
which which are set about fifty years later. Uh, but the same idea of this this wooden world where um, there are no women, um, but there is a, is a kind of very close knit society of of people living absolute cheek by jowl, mm. um, which which results in in strange things happening, which um, which I think is really interesting. Um, so yes, it's very exciting. Uh, and I would definitely recommend it. Oh, good. So that's The Wager by David Grann. He also did um, Flowers of the Killer Moon. The, the, he wrote the book, which has been made into the film with uh, Leonardo DiCaprio, the very long film. Um, Overlong film, over some film, would say. Possibly. Um, I read Water by John Boyne, um, uh, wonderful Irish writer, John Boyne. Mm-hmm. It's about a woman who arrives on a, on a sparsely inhabited island off the west coast of Ireland. So there's a little bit of a, bit of a connection there. <laughs> um, where she rents a cottage, but under a false name. And um, she's there to escape the shame of uh, her husband's imprisonment. And you, you gradually learn why, he was, why he's in prison and why she, she has this shame. Um, uh, and it's and about her family. Um, it's beautiful writing and there are surprises. So I, I really rate that. And it's the first in a, in a trilogy, I think, that he's going to be writing. Oh. Um, Another Irish book. Oh. Uh, <laughs> These John, Irish writers. John Banville's uh, The Lockup, which is one ah. of his series that the with the detective Strafford and uh, pathologist Quirk in 1950s Dublin. And it's not really a, a thriller or a mystery or a detective story at all, really. It's really about these two characters, these two oddball characters, uh, and 50s Dublin. So it's really interesting, and I and I find it very stimulating. But it isn't what it ain't is a is a is a crime thriller. Right. Um, I read a short little novella by someone called Joanne Beard called Sherry. Oh, Sherry! It's a lovely look. That Tim's just showing me now. It's a yeah. really lovely little book it's with a, a great cover. It's a cover. beautiful book, and she's the kind of American Claire Keegan. She writes beautiful oh. prose. Okay. Uh, a very moving. It's a. It's about a woman dying. Um, oh. And it is, it is, but it's very moving and, and beautifully written, and I would really recommend so that. So say her name again. Uh, jo Ann Beard. Uh, and Cherry. The book is called um, Cherry. Oh, it's, it's called, she's Cherry. called Cherry. I she? think she's called Cherry. Okay. Uh, or Cherie. Um, and uh, the last book I was going to talk about is Red Side Story by Jasper Ford. Now, I don't know if you've come Ooh, across there. him. Is he, that double F? Double F, that's right. He wrote a book called Shades of Grey about... Ten years ago, I suppose, maybe not quite long ago as that. Um, and it's set in this world which is basically, it feels like our world in the UK here. But uh, the people in it are slightly different. They have this um, uh, ability, some of them have this ability to see colour and see different colours and different levels of colour. Um, and the... What, like synesthesia? Do... Well, it's, it's like, so you, you, you can only see, so... You're graded in your social scale as to how much colour you can see. So the greys, uh, who, oh. who can't really see anything, can't really see the distinction of colour, are at the bottom of the social scale and the, and the purples are at the top. And oh, that's interesting. A... So it's like the whole thing, like the Elizabethan, what colour you were allowed to wear, so that only the aristocracy were allowed to wear or the ecclesiastical could wear purple. Right. And okay. the serfs were kept down to their slub-coloured things. Well, the, the, this, the, the idea is that... Is that uh, Something funny is going on in this community, uh, and um, our, char- our lead character is, is a red. He can see, oh. he, he's quite a high red, but he, he for some reason he has quite a low status. Anyway, uh, it, it's it's a weird a book, and it, it's 
it's it's fast moving it's very imaginative but it's also quite playful and witty um and quite dark and Ooh. so that's red side story by jasper ford very good so susie caught up with um l keating um at her book launch for her new novel her first novel poison summer uh here at one tree books l writes sort of twisty um complex flawed characters uh and her aim is to capture the zeitgeist and in fact this book is set in the in the 80s um of a period and and a, and, a, and a place which is greece in fact she's got an ma in creative writing from the university of chichester um and uh she does like an unreliable narrator and that's what we get in this novel well, I have grabbed Elle before the exciting book launch of One Tree Books, as promised. Elle is fantastic debut novel, and I remembered all too well the, the book launch of when it all starts. How do you feel? Oh, I can't really put it into words. It's quite overwhelming. It's um, exciting, it's terrifying, all of the above, really. How long have you been working on it? This particular novel, oh gosh, it's been it's been percolating for quite a few years, but um, this one has taken a while to come to life. I'd say two or three years, maybe. Wow, um, and yeah. I know we've already said to the listeners that you've done a, an MA yes, at Chichester. Chichester so right. where did that come in the process? Before I wrote it. Before I wrote it, um, I had the MA, I had another novel on the go for the MA. I was going to bring that novel out and then I did a complete tailspin and thought, I don't want to do this one. Not yet, maybe later. Okay. Um, and um, I wanted to do this. So was it, it, so we've already said how atmospheric it is, it, you live and breathe Greece. Yes. Because it's written in the first person. Yeah, it, it's an unusual one. It It's hard to sustain over a, mm. a novel rather yes. than a short story, but particularly the use of the second person singular as well. That's yes. a really yes. tough gig. Yeah, yeah. So why did you opt for that? Why? What was that choice about? Okay. I wanted to bring the reader in very close, like they were almost eavesdropping on a conversation. So I wanted to use first person direct address. So it doesn't kick in until paragraph two. The first paragraph, it's very much first person and you're talking to the reader. And then there's a bit where it pivots and Melanie starts talking to Marios, calling him you all the way through. Then right at the end, it flips back again comes out of that first-person direct narrative back to being Melanie talking to the audience, audience, readers. You see, what I loved about it was that, yes, there's the surprise element, you think it's going to be a holiday romance yes, sort of thing. Yeah. And, and, of course, it is a holiday romance at the start. Yes. But I actually like that you don't... You're not mean with the reader, yeah. that the reader knows, possibly because of that use of the you throughout, that there is something brewing. And I I, I actually prefer that personally. It's okay. Bracing yourself. You are (laughs) braced. And even braced, the cleverness is that you you don't exactly know what's going to happen or that there will be other people involved. You know, that's what works. I wanted to... Somebody said a while ago that it's like leading up a lovely garden path and then slamming you into a brick wall. I'm not saying any more. You no. have to read it to find Absolutely. Out. No spoilers <laughs> here, no spoilers. I trust. Um, but what I felt about it being the first person, now that, you know, it's gone and I've read other books, I feel um, almost as though it's been a very vivid dream of my own or right. some sort of 
indiscretion that I had in some distant holiday. It's Ooh. so it's rather <laughs> nice and vivid. Yeah. But why Greece? Why Greece? I'm a big Grecophile. I love Greece. Um, like Melanie, I spent time on a Greek island uh, another lifetime ago. I've done the seasonal work, met a lot of people, seen a lot of things. And I'm a bit of a magpie. I squirrel stuff away. I listen to stories. It makes me sound like an eavesdropper. <laughs> but you know well, what I mean? kind of all are. Yeah, but I think all writers are. Yeah. You collect stuff, don't you? Yeah. I hear things and think, oh, I'm going to use that. Yeah. That idea, not that whole thing verbatim. And Greece is somewhere I just love. I go there a lot. Um, I used to go probably three or four times a year to different wow. Greek islands. So do you have Greek family? or I don't, I don't have know. Greek friends. You do have a Greek you know, look about you as okay, well, that, yeah. or at least there's a possibility. Yeah, I used to confuse local people a bit. <laughs> um, How no. brilliant, though. Yeah. Like, everyone thinks I'm Scandinavian, and yeah, sadly, I'm not. Actually, you write about sort of <laughs> yeah. Viking-type things, yeah. don't you? So yeah, I can yeah. see why. Yeah, but yeah. sadly not. Yeah. Um, so that's the, the thing. Now, mm. what I want to get to as well is the excitement of when you first so for people who don't know what's okay. the process so you, you right know. okay um the process i'm going to mention this when i speak to people in a moment oh well don't well. go but no, no it's oh, fine okay. it's fine because there's no one listening to this bit. okay um to me when you start a novel and i'm on book number two and it's exactly the same process it's like starting a new love affair and you get absolutely obsessed completely absorbed with this thing which could, you know, in a love affair, it's another person. And you dream about them. I've had dreams about my characters. It's very weird. Um, and you actually absorb them so much that you just want to talk about them to everybody. Like when you're madly in love with someone for the first time, but you also want to kind of hang on to them and protect them and not tell people, keep them as your little thing. Yeah, I think that's vital. It's very much that way. You've got to do a bit of both, I think. Um my poor husband, I keep saying, oh, oh, can I tell you this? Or guess what they're doing now? And he says, I just want to read it. Yeah. So I'm like, OK, I'll let you read it later. Um, and then later you get a bit sort of, oh, my God, I'm so over this now. And that's the editing process. And you've got to really refine it and hone it. And this one, I couldn't stop editing. It's a kind of first novel thing, I believe. You can't stop doing things. I still find things I should have changed. Mm. But you've got to stop somewhere mm -hmm. and think, right, and when it's put to bed, it's got to go. And it's quite cathartic. You think, right, I'm done with this now. I think that's why the second's useful, isn't it? Because it encourages so. that putting away. I think so. You learn an awful lot from that process that you don't know you're going to learn. Yeah. You're all prepared. You've done the courses. You've read the books. Mm. But it's never the same till you... You know what I mean. Mm -hmm. When you start doing it, mm -hmm. it's a very different ball game, isn't it? So did you have your box of books from the publisher? and? Oh, did they? I'm yeah, I did the, the whole opening. opening. Yeah, I did that. I tried to do it one-handed with a phone, trying to film it, and it doesn't work. It's not a good idea. <laughs> but that must have been a lovely moment yeah. after years. Yeah. Now, they always say that debut novels have a lot of autobiography yes. in it. Yeah. Did this... Be Some of it did. Now, the bit that I felt a kinship with, and yeah. whether or not this is autobiographical yeah, or just with Melanie, is very much to do with always wanting to write, but having mm. people telling you to be sensible. Yes, and get you know, a secretarial okay. job. And, yeah, that yeah, sort I of thing. I had a lot of that. Yeah. Um, my father was, I won't say he was like Melanie's father, but he had elements of him in him, elements of her father in him, so I was able to draw on that. Um, I knew a girl very like Cherie when I was actually doing the season on one of the islands I was on. Um, 
And as there's so many pieces I've picked out from here, there and everywhere, that's why I thought I'm going to fictionalise this island and make it a kind of melange of all sorts of Greek islands and put them together. Yeah. That's probably why it's so intense, actually. Yeah. I think it works better when you when you actually do so. do that distill. I, I didn't want to say, like, oh, this is, I don't know, Corfu, and people say, yeah, I know yeah. that bar, I know that person. It would be just, yeah. oh, my goodness. No, that no, would be not. dreadful. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so, Aftonisi actually means this island. Oh, right. Oh, There's yeah. a lot of words like that. Excellent. Lathos means error, because she did make a bit of a mistake. Oh, so anyone Greek-speaking would, would just be able think, to... What? No, I think they'll think, oh, they cunning. The irony of it too, but that yeah. again is playing fair with the reader, I think isn't so. it? I, I, I like so. that again yeah. that you know that you're not actually sort of taking you one path and then you end up somewhere else. No, and it's I do really think good. it's important. I like flawed characters. I like people who've got problems. So mm. I mean, there were certainly a few <laughs> those. certainly were, um, and the new book's got a few of those too. But I also think you need, not necessarily a happy ending, but you need an uplift. You need something positive at the end, which I hope I managed to put in without yeah. letting anything go. Yeah, no and being careful not to say too much. Okay. But it's obviously obvious that you're somebody who likes closure. Yeah. That, you know, and I personally can't stand books where I'm oh, left going, I'm not absolutely yeah. certain what happened there. And you have to you know, go back over it again. Go back, no, I, still I know, don't know, I know. So what's book two? Book two, just, I, I don't want to I know you won't too say much, too much, no. but is it just, just genre? Okay, psychological romance, maybe a little bit more psychological suspense. Um, that's great. That's you... probably all I can do at the moment, and there will be a little bit of Greece in it, but not like this. There's also a bit of Portugal in it, there's a little bit of Lanzarote, there's a lot of, there's a bit of island life in it, but not to anywhere near the extent this book had. That's brilliant. Well, I think I can hear some of your guests yes. arriving, so I'm going to let you get to thank them. Oh, thank you so thank much. You, it's Susie. been it's such been a pleasure. Great. Thank you. So what have we got to look out for, Tim? Why? Right. There's going to be quite a few new paperbacks coming oh. out of books that, um, that you may have read reviews of uh, this time last year. Um, one is Ordinary Human Failings by Megan Nolan, which got a lot of top, a lot of reviews when it came no, I out. I don't remember that. Um, it's a, a child goes missing on a, a London housing estate, uh, and a young tabloid journalist smells a chance to make a name for himself. Um, it's told from the viewpoint both of, of the journalist and from the family, um, and it's unsettling. It's a book about poverty and limited ch- chances on the one hand. And the the voyeurism of the media on the other, um, and it's it's uh, it's quite a it's quite a, a tricky book, but I think it's well worth reading. Mm. Um, romantic comedy, one of the books I really enjoyed this year uh, by Curtis Suttenfeld, um, who she did Rodham uh, and various other other books. She's 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 done really well actually. Um, what she does in this book is she turns the usual kind of romantic comedy story um, slightly upside down. The idea that that gorgeous women go out with average-looking men who are clever or funny, which is kind of like a trope of, of, the, uh, of the genre, I think, um, but seldom the other way around. Mm. So what she does is she turns this on her head. Um, it's set in the world of American sketch, sketch TV show where this brilliant woman writer um, is, is exploring this trope and then this amazing rock, rock god uh, comes on the scene and um, what happens next? So, uh, but it's intelligently crafted, 
Uh, it's well done, and it's also one. It's another one of these kind of lockdown books in that in that there's a, a certain amount of of um, communication between these two online. So anyway, that that more on that. It was good. It reminded me a bit of Nora Ephron in the wittiness yes. aspect of yeah, it and that world. It's it's sharp, isn't it? I think it's good. Um, uh, another book just out in paperback is Peter Frankopan's The Earth Transformed, which is a new history of the world which shows how nature's always played a vital role in, in international events and, and in history, uh, the demise of empires, Icelandic volcanoes or whatever it might be, um, that, has, that has wiped out civilizations or, or stopped empires, causing them to fall. Um, why the Vikings went south, Again, it was crop failure. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think there's a lot of really interesting stuff in there and um, I'm looking forward to getting my teeth into that at some stage. Yeah, that sounds good. Another history book is is Beyond the Wall by Katja Hoyer. Um, she was a native of the of the of East Germany, the, the, the German Democratic uh, Republic, um, although she was only born at the very end of it, 1985. Um, and it's a kind of history of... Um, of East Germany, which takes you away from the the, the cliches of, of the Stasi and, and everything, and more into perhaps some, some slightly more positive side of, of, of East Germany. Um, <laughs> there is some. <laughs> well, the, the fact that there was no unemployment, really, there was yeah. no homelessness, um, that there was no real social unrest, but what there was was obviously this this level of... of um, uh, level of, of repression at the top... Um, but as long as you as long as you didn't mess with that, you you know it was life was pretty 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 good really. Um, but that it's an it's a it's a it's pretty open I suppose. Look at the whole of uh, the history of East Germany. Um, another paperback coming out is is Raging Storm, the new Anne Cleves. Oh yes. Um, the latest in her Two Rivers series with Detective Matthew Venn, and one new hardback which I wanted to mention, which is. Uh, a book that has just now seen the light of day. It's it's called Until August, and it's by Gabriel Garcia Marquez. And um, it's a book I think he didn't really necessarily want to have, oh, have yeah. published. Right. Um, and because towards the end of his life, he died, I don't know how many years ago now, a few years ago, mm. um, he, had, he had progressive dementia. So uh, I think there was he was nervous about... a. a you know, he put it at the bottom of a drawer somewhere and hoped it would just get disappear. But obviously, the publisher didn't think that was a good idea no. at all. They thought it was to make some money, mm. um, and so they published this book. And I haven't seen anything on on it yet, but I think it, it's going to be interesting when it comes out. Yeah, well, let them watch this space. So I'm going to read quite near the start of the list of suspicious things by Jenny Godfrey. Um, it gives you a, a taste of that era. I think very well. Auntie Jean put the wooden spoon away and opened the door of our ancient fridge with its rusted corners, which creaked in protest. Immediately tutting about the lack of substance inside it, she pulled out the battered, spiral-bound notebook she carried everywhere with her, removed the equally battered pencil shoved in the top and licked the nub. Buttermilk cheese. I could see her mouthing the words as she wrote them down, neatly listing them in the copper plate handwriting she was so proud of. Auntie Jean liked to tidy up the messiness of life, putting everything into order. I sometimes wondered if that was what she was trying to do to our family. She finished her list, closed the fridge and looked at me. 
Oh, not just dead girls, those types of women. I was bursting to ask about what types of women she meant and whether they were the same type as Margaret Thatcher. I was always intrigued about the women Auntie Jean disapproved of. There were many, but I knew from experience that no comment was expected or desired, so I chose to say nothing and simply settled back into my chair while Auntie Jean settled back into her opinions. I didn't need to ask which murders she was talking about, though. Everyone in Yorkshire knew we had our very own bogeyman, one with a hammer and a hatred of women. I had first heard about the Yorkshire Ripper two years before when I was nearly ten years old. Me, Mum, Dad and Auntie Jean were all sat in our living room. It was not long after Auntie Jean had come to live with us and I was rearranging myself around this new presence in the house, moulding myself into the new shape that was required of me. I was constantly trying to make myself smaller and quieter, but despite my best intentions, my personality kept jumping out anyway like a jack-in-the-box. The nine o'clock news was on the small black-and-white television, perched on a shelf. Mum, Dad and Auntie Jean were all perched on the settee, looking up at it, as though it were at church, listening to a sermon. My hair was wet after its weekly wash, so I got to sit on the armchair, usually reserved for Mum, whenever she came downstairs. It was next to the gas fire, the bars glowing brightly and warming my face when I turned towards it. The rest of the room was so cold you could see your own breath. My eyes were busy tracing the brown, orange and mustard swirls of our carpet, which looked like the patterns we drew on the spirograph I had got last Christmas, when I became aware that something in the room had changed, as though all the oxygen had left it. It felt as if everyone had taken a breath and was holding it in, like we sometimes did at school, until we turned red and gave in, gasping and laughing. I looked up to see that a solemn-faced policeman, laden with official decoration, had appeared on screen. I could see Dad looking at Mum intently, as though checking for signs of life. Finding nothing, he turned to Auntie Jean, his eyebrows waggling up and down in a way that would usually have made me giggle. But there was nothing funny about it. I couldn't understand what had just changed. Today I can confirm that 20-year-old Jean Jordan is the sixth victim of the Yorkshire Ripper. It was a brutal death. She was hit around the head with a blunt instrument and slashed repeatedly. The victim was another prostitute. I sat up straight. This was a word I had not heard before. At the same time, Dad coughed, covering the sound of the television, and Auntie Jean got up to turn the channel over, but not before I managed to ask, What's a prostitute? Dad and Auntie Jean looked at each other again. Dad shifted in his seat. Auntie Jean froze. Mum continued to stare vacantly at the screen. A brief flicker of awareness, the only sign that she was watching, a focus to her eyes which disappeared as quickly as it came. No one looked at me. Eventually, Dad piped up, It's, uh, it's someone who helps the police. Do you want a Horlicks before bed? Auntie Jean asked, her voice as hard as granite. Well, thanks for that, Susie. Um, interesting as always. <laughs> well, I think it's a little flavour anyway, so people can get an idea. So, Tim, that concludes February. Thank you. Thank you. And um, as usual, you can get, uh, if you want to hear any of our 
back issues. This is now our, I think, our 42nd. So if you want to hear any of the, four, the previous 41, you can look on Spotify or wherever you get your, your podcast from. They're all on there somewhere. Excellent. And here's to March. Indeed. Thanks. Bye-bye. Petersfield Seed Swap is your chance to plant some ideas for your garden. Or on your allotment, Claire. Of course, Steve. We'll be there to help you pick up some inspiration and advice. And enjoy some specialist talks from experts. Helia Bowling will be in town to help you start a cut flower garden. And I'll show you how to plant an amazing veg plot. Plant some ideas with us at the Petersfield Seed Swap. It's on Saturday the 9th of March at Winton House in Petersfield Town Centre. And it's funded by the UK Government through the UK Shared Prosperity Fund. And you'll find more details at shineradio.uk. Happy gardening.